0: A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello and welcome. I'm Tim Farron and this is a show where you get to hear from a Christian who works either in or through the mucky business of politics. You might think politics is tainted by compromise and sin, and of course, you'd be right, but then again, so is everything else. And I think that Christians should be praying for their brothers and sisters who are in politics and doing so in an informed way. Today, we're going to be joined by the Conservative member of the Welsh Senate, Darren Miller. We're going to hear about how he got involved in politics as a teenager, came to faith while canvassing for an election, left politics, but then returned to serve in the Senate. But before that, I'd like to talk about hope. It's the last show before Easter, so I want to reflect on what the resurrection of Jesus tells us about politics, power, and hope. The world seems to be overflowing with war, violence, and hatred, people struggling for power. And we know that Christianity can get used as a political weapon in this fight. The invasion of Ukraine is partly about Putin's paranoia, about protecting Russia's borders and reclaiming lost power in Eastern Europe, but it's also, about religion, and many Western commentators have missed this point. Kiev is the birthplace of the Russian Orthodox Church, and Putin's attempt to occupy Ukraine is part of his desire to reunify the church and build what he calls spiritual security into his national security. Both Putin and the patriarch Kirill, head of the Orthodox Church, have been explicit about their efforts to shore up faith and society against what they call Western liberal influences. And many Christian nationalists in the US and the UK have leapt to defend Putin's desire to stand against what they see as the threat to Christian values from secular liberalism and the ideologies of identity politics. This is the same spirit that saw active Christian involvement in the assault on Capitol Hill last year, seeking to overthrow the presidential election result, which they believed threatened the future of Christianity in the States. To be very clear, they were in the wrong. But... This is not new. In every age, people have used religion to gain and hold power. We know the devil seeks to divide the church, and we should take heed of the warning in Ephesians 6 that our ultimate struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Let us be wise and wary about this attempt to gain influence for a muscular, divisive theology. Politics cannot save us, even Christian politics. Jesus is the only saviour. The accounts of the first Easter remind us how Jesus turned the whole notion of power upside down. He disappointed people who expected him to raise an army against the Roman occupiers. Instead, he chose humiliation and execution at the hands of the greatest political and military power of that day. Jesus' victory on the cross over the spiritual forces of evil and over death itself looked very much like failure. Instead of seeking political power, he used a symbol of weakness, shame, and impotence to restore justice and mercy to a broken humanity. His way is based on love, grace, and forgiveness. This does not mean he didn't get angry with corruption, just look at the turning over of the tables in the temple court. We must fight against injustice, but this does not mean installing our own fallen version of a Christian government. It might seem tempting to throw our support behind those who speak of standing up for Christian values against secularism and wokery, but let's be careful who we choose as bedfellows. The call for Britain and the US to shore up our Christian heritage is being used by those who seek to deepen the divisions in our society for their own gain, not to heal them. Understanding that Christ paid all our debts on the cross means that we can live radically liberated from the need to rescue ourselves and the Christian cause through political power and might. We depend instead on God's grace and we're called to model that grace through our politics. This is absolutely revolutionary. Jesus told a famous parable about a man who was left for dead by bandits, but cared for by an enemy. His point was that everyone is our neighbor. We are to love our neighbor and that this love should cost us because all genuine love does In response to God's grace, we're led to reflect that grace in our dealings with everybody else. It's a huge challenge for us as Christians to seek a path through the division and avoid being hijacked by either side. Jesus could be combative in his language, but he was not vicious. He got angry, but he was also full of compassion. Paul writes the Colossians in chapter 4 that we should let our conversations always be full of grace seasoned with salt. We can be provocative in our arguments but we should not be filled with hatred for those who disagree with us. Grace is outrageous. And Christians have spent the last 2000 years modeling it very imperfectly. But at Easter, we remember that Jesus turned all our notions of power on their head and that he has promised us a secure future in which there will be no more war, pain, death, or division. Our world and our politics desperately needs this hope today a mucky business with tim farron well now to our guest darren miller is the member of the welsh senate for Clwyd west and the conservative chief whip in the welsh senate uh, darren welcome it's such a pleasure to have you with us it's great to be with you tim great to be with you so we're interested in people's stories here on a mucky business and your story um well it, it started politically about the time that margaret thatcher was ousted as prime minister that's right i remember watching
1: this sort of uh, downfall of the of the iron lady uh, on the telly and it really sparked an interest in current affairs and um, you know for the first time i sort of got the political bug uh, started watching the news every night and uh, of course shortly after that john major was mm. elected as prime minister uh, called a general election And uh, that's really where I started getting involved in politics. I got in touch with the local uh, political parties in my area, asked for copies of their manifestos, decided that the Tory party was for me, joined up and got out there campaigning on the doorsteps.
0: In the 92 general election, um, where where John Major surprisingly won it. I think most people thought Neil Kinnock would be prime minister at the end of it. But it turned out that John Major was was re-elected. So you were very involved in politics um, in your local community, uh, knocking on doors, signed up party member. Um, And then a couple of years later, there were some more elections, the European elections in 94. Uh, You were door knocking and someone kind of turned the tables on you, didn't they? Yeah, it's always interesting this,
1: isn't it, when people do this on the doorstep. So, you know, I was 15 when I joined the party in 1992. And uh, so two years later, 17 years old, And we'd had a torrid time uh, as a Conservative Party. Uh, You know, we'd had Black Wednesday, uh, economic Armageddon, uh, basically. And um, we were having a rough time on the doorsteps. You know, people were telling us what they thought in no uncertain terms. And I happened to be canvassing on my own street, uh, the street where my mum and dad live, in Tawyn, wonderful seaside resort in North Wales. And... um, was talking to uh, people and obviously got around to this one particular door and a guy answered and he had a big smile on his face. And, um, you know, I thought, great, I've got a conservative pledge here I can mark down. But he didn't really want to talk about politics. He started turning the conversation towards Jesus. And at that point, I really thought, well, look, I'm, I'm not interested uh, in, in Jesus. Uh, so I quickly tried to terminate the conversation uh, and move on. But he would planted something inside me, something which made me curious about why he was smiling. What was it that was different about this guy? Anyway, I'd forgotten about him. Uh, and then just a couple of months later, I found myself having this compulsion to go to church. I'd never had anything like it. Uh, in my life, and uh, lo and behold, uh, when I, you know, found the confidence to actually tell my mates I was going to church uh, that Sunday, uh, I drifted round the corner to, uh, to to the Catholic church that my mum and dad uh, had always uh, attended periodically uh, as nominal Catholics, and um, and it was shut, and I didn't know what to do, and just. At that moment, dropped into my head, this guy with a big grin. And I thought, you know what? He told me which church he went to. I'll go there. I turned up at a church, sat on the back row next to this guy with a big grin. And I looked around and everybody else seemed to have a similar sort of strange smile. And, uh, and I heard the gospel for the first time. And it was the most incredible revelation for me. I had no idea that someone had loved me enough in order to,
0: uh, to die on a cross for my sins. Now, you're um, our guest on this programme. We call it a mucky business. The challenge I had when I was a, a very young Christian was why are you involved in politics, Tim? It's a mucky business. But you kind of dropped out of politics then, not really because you thought politics was a mucky business, but because you thought it was really quite small beer compared to what Jesus had done for you and eternity. That's right. You, you know, look, like most people who
1: get involved in politics... I wanted to change the world. I wanted the community I lived in to be a better place. I wanted the streets to be safer. I wanted people to have a better education and a better health service. But what I realized, I think, was after I became a Christian, I started to read books, and I recognized that, you know, the times that the UK had seen the biggest transformation were times when Christianity had been revived. And um, so I decided, look, you know, this politics business um, isn't the real answer to society's ills. The real answer is uh, is Jesus. It's the Christian faith. So I uh, wrote a letter to uh, the local association chairman saying that, uh, you know, uh, I was going to step back from uh, political involvement and um, that for me, you know, the Christian faith was the answer to, uh, to to the problems I've been seeking to sort out as a member of the uh, political party.
0: So having moved away from politics for a time, what brought you back?
1: Yeah, I suppose politics had been a bit of an idol to me. So that was another reason that I wanted to quit it. Um, but as I laid it down, you know, God often does this, doesn't he? You lay something down and he gives it you back and this is precisely what happened to me. So uh, a couple of years later, it was 1999. We were in a situation where uh, we had elections coming around, local elections this time. And I was contacted by uh, by the local Conservative Party and they said, look, we, we really could do with some more candidates. And we were wondering, Darren, uh, I know you're not involved in the party anymore, but we were wondering whether you'd, stand as a paper candidate for us um in uh in the towering area of course paper candidate means that you're not supposed to put much effort in and uh, you're just a name on a on a ballot paper effectively um but i got off the telephone call had a chat with uh with my wife becky and thought you know perhaps i should give this a go and see what happens Mm. the door of opportunity just seems to swing open so uh i allowed my name to go forward and um You know, uh, had a bit of a campaign and lo and behold, I got elected. Uh, And, uh, you know, the political journey sort of started once again.
0: Yeah. So you're at the grand old age of about 24 now by my shoddy maths. (laughs) He was a bit younger than
1: that, actually. I wow. think I was—I tw- think I was 22 when I got elected, Tim. The yeah, council. amazing. Yeah. Right, 20, go, 21, so. even 21, 22, something a, like a, that. It was very my young.
0: Maths, my maths are terrible. <laughs> because it's a good thing I'm not our economic <laughs> spokesman. But, um, but in any event, that that aside, you you clearly had a motivation to be in politics first time round. Mm. Um, when you were, if you like, uh, re-involved and you stood for the council, were elected you were a Christian. Now you had a very different worldview. So politics was maybe, maybe took a different role. Completely. So, so my mindset
1: had been completely renewed, obviously, you know, the Bible talks about this, doesn't it? The renewing of the mind and my mind had been completely renewed. I saw politics now as a a sort of mission field that I'd been sent into. Mm. And, um, You know, to do things for Jesus. Uh, Yes, absolutely. To serve people, to try and do my best to be a spokesperson on behalf of my constituents uh, and to fight their corner but also to try and share my Christian faith, you know, in, in, a, in a way with people that I might never uh, have met before or encountered before. Mm-hmm. So, so that was the way I perceived politics, which was not how I perceived it uh, before. Mm-hmm. So it, it was very, very different and very sweet, really, mm-hmm. going into politics with my eyes wide open this time in a way that
0: <laughs> hadn't happened first time around amazing i love the idea of politics as a mission field it is full of people who are looking to make the world better different looking for solutions so there are there are there are hungry people uh, when you get involved amongst these strange people involved in politics I mean, what what I find
1: unusual is, you know, the the church across the UK and across the world does a really good job of reaching the down and outs in our society, Um, you know, helping those who are poor, the widows, the orphans, the hungry... But we tend not to focus so much on the up and outs in our society. Those that are in positions of influence who also need to hear the gospel message. And I think, you know, if you're involved in politics, you're rubbing shoulders with those sorts of people every day. And, um, you know, you can have an opportunity to share your faith with them naturally as opportunities
0: come along. A mucky business with Tim Farron. We're talking to Darren Miller, who is the member of the Welsh Senate for Clwyd West and the Conservative Chief Whip in the Senate. Darren, you ended up becoming a member of the Senate in 2007, but you had to go through a selection first a, a year earlier. How did that work out for you?
1: Yeah, so I mean, the Conservative Party's selection process is pretty rigorous. And uh, the Clwyd West seat uh, that I now represent was represented by uh, by another party, the Labour Party and uh, it was pretty hotly contested, the selection process. Uh, There were people who were far better qualified than I to be (laughs) members uh, of the Senate. But um, I decided after prayer to put my name forward, um, unlike uh, some of the other candidates. I just wanted to represent the seat that I lived in, uh, not anywhere else. And, um, you know, I was less articulate than the other candidates, had less political experience. But for whatever reason, uh, people gave me their support and uh, it was a roller coaster of a campaign for 12 months. One of the strange things about uh, elections in Wales and Scotland, these other devolved uh, areas, is that you can predict the date of the election well in advance, unlike the Westminster elections, Tim. So we have a very long running campaign. It's not just a sort of snap six week campaign. And, uh, and that meant that, you know, I was suddenly back in the throes of frontline politics in a way that uh, hadn't been before. So it was an interesting campaign, uh, eventually culminating in getting elected uh, then in 2007. And it was a, a great blessing to have that experience.
0: Now you've met a bit of opposition, and we all do in politics, but opposition because of your faith, and in that 2007 election, uh, you being a committee Christian was something that was used against you. Was it used in written form, in literature, or was it word of mouth? How did it come about?
1: Yeah, so I had a very um, difficult time uh, in a Hustings meeting. Uh, mm. This was about a week before the election, and... Um, you know, you have uh, conversations about political differences all the time, policy differences with you with your colleagues. But this particular hustings meeting took a different turn, and uh, there were specific questions which appear to have been planted in the uh, in, in the audience to to query my Christian faith, uh, my evangelical faith. So there was, uh, you know, a question on uh, on on what constituted sin. Uh, There was a question on, you know, different views on things like creationism. Um, And, uh, you know, my my answers to those, I tried to be as as straight as I could, And, uh, you know, I was then targeted because of my because of my Christian faith. And what was really strange, Tim, is I I felt really gutted after that meeting. I thought, you know, I've really stepped in it. Uh, I've I've made a mess. Uh, There's no way people are going to vote for me now. You know, the other parties are trying to paint me as some sort of religious bigot um, that's not in tune with society's views. So I got in touch with my pastor and said, look, will you meet me on the way home? And uh, he turned up at the church and we uh, we prayed together and uh, God gave me a real revelation that the outcome of this election was nothing to do with me whatsoever. Of course, we know that um, campaigning matters and uh, doing the right thing to try and communicate with the constituents matters. But I had this revelation that all authority came from him and I didn't really need to concern myself with the outcome of the elections. And uh, that gave me a real peace. And then the following week. In the, on the election day itself, I can remember going around Abergelly, one of the biggest towns in the constituency, uh, trying to encourage our voters to turn out. And some of them already had a sheet of paper in their hands. Mm. And I looked at this sheet of paper and I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, it was a, a leaflet from my political opposition. It was trying to paint me as some sort of uh, horrible mm. um, anti this, anti that sort of person. And uh, they said, I received this through the letterbox today. You know what? They said, I wasn't going to vote, but this has really stirred me out and I'm voting for you. So it it sort of had the opposite effect, uh, the uh, the anti-faith campaign um, from my political opponents and really caused more of them to turn out, more of my supporters to turn out. So you know, that, uh, that truth that God uses everything to fulfill his purposes uh, and often uses what the enemy means to harm us to, for our good, really, I saw unfolding.
0: Yes, finally. I mean, that's a, a wonderful story, really. And I think of, of trusting God, knowing he is the Lord of the election, whichever one it is, however things are going to turn out, it's going to be how he uh, aims it to, to, to do. But obviously there's an impact not just on you, which was tough and still is, I'm sure, but on your family, how do we cope as Christians when our family are kind of caught in the crossfire?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, as a Christian, when you go into politics, you've got to be a person with thick skin. Most politicians are people with thick skins. You can take a lot of heat, you know, no matter what darts are fired by uh, by the enemy. You can sort of shake them off and carry on. Um, but, of course, our families aren't always like that. And uh, if they see you... Um, Getting hurt uh, if they see people attacking you unfairly and unjustly, um, you know they're the ones who often feel the most pain. You know, so my wife and kids, my mum and dad, um, uh, in many ways, uh, always felt sorer about these things than uh, th- than I did. And I guess you know the only thing we can do as Christian politicians is to try and prepare them for these times, which will come. They always come. You know, Jesus promises, doesn't he, in, uh, in the Bible that if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you as well. Uh, so, so we can expect these times as Christians in politics or Christians in any other field of work. And um, we just need to uh, ensure that we do what we can to uh, to protect our home life
0: to protect those that we love uh, who can sometimes face some of the consequences unfairly well, darren you've taught us some great lessons today and one of them is a reminder for me and for all of us involved in this show and who listen to it that we shouldn't just be praying for politicians christian politicians but also for their loved ones who are obviously affected very much by their experiences darren what a pleasure and a privilege to, to spend time with you thank you ever so much
1: It's my pleasure as well, Tim, and keep fighting the good fight.
0: Each week, we answer a question from you, the listener, about how Christianity and politics can work together. Maybe you're thinking through a particular issue or you're not sure why people disagree on a certain policy. If you've got a question, I'd love it if you wrote it in to me in an email to at premier.org.uk. Well, this week, Michael in Ipswich has been in touch.
1: I'd like to ask the question, what is the hardest part of being a believer in the Bible while serving a secular democracy? And how have you navigated
0: it? Thanks. Well, I've often not navigated it very well, to be honest with you, uh, Michael. But how should we navigate it? I think it's interesting because I think the two twin problems, you say, what's the hardest part? I guess it's being misunderstood. And fearing being misunderstood by both sides, misunderstood by Christians, some of whom think you should legislate to make people who are not Christians live as though they were. And on the other hand, um, people who are not Christians, who think you're some kind of hateful bigot for thinking that what the Bible says is true. And we all hate being misunderstood. Now, you know, our reputations are not the most important thing in the world. But nevertheless, if we want to get the gospel across, we need people to listen. And obviously, we want people who are Christians to be encouraged by those Christians who are involved in politics. I think it's one of the reasons why, you know, maybe we as Christians decry what we call religious illiteracy in our society today. People just don't know the Bible, uh, whether they don't believe it, but they don't even know about it. And they don't understand um, Christian language and what Christians think. And therefore, they're much more likely to judge us harshly, but on the other hand, you could say that religious illiteracy is society's problem. The problem for Christians perhaps in the world that we live in today is kind of political and cultural illiteracy. And that's almost what I'm trying to do in this programme to tackle really, so that we might speak in a language that understands the culture, that has affection for the people who live in it. And so that we get a hearing because if people have got their fingers in their ears, when we open our mouths, They're never going to hear the gospel. If you have a question for Tim, email Farren at premier.org.uk. Well, as we draw to the end of our time together, let us join together in prayer. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for all those who serve in the mucky business of politics. And we lift them up to you, those who trust in you especially. But in particular, we also want to pray this week for their families, for their loved ones, that you'd protect them um, from sadness, from pain, from pressure. You keep them safe, keep them out of the public eye and ensure that uh, children grow up healthily and spouses uh, are able to live happy and private lives, faithful lives. Lord, we lift up to you the awful situation in Ukraine. We pray for peace and we pray for justice. Lord, we thank you that you are the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, that every emperor, every president, every prime minister will bow before you. Uh, Lord, we pray for that justice to happen now. We pray for your protection, your supernatural power, protecting the women, the children, the men of Ukraine. Lord, we pray for all those who suffer hardship as we go through this time of increased prices. and. Uh, restricted incomes Um, many people who've struggled now finding themselves below the water and we just pray for your your help your practical help for meeting people's material needs but also that you turn their eyes to you And as we approach easter time it's the time when um, maybe society is a little bit more ready a little bit more tolerant about hearing the gospel spoken about publicly i pray the church throughout this country would speak up boldly and clearly and truthfully about the gospel, about the accounts of the first Easter and why that offers us the only real true hope that there is on offer. And may many people turn to you this Easter time. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Saviour. Amen. Well, thanks so much for listening. Don't forget, you can catch up on all the shows which have included interviews with party leaders, former government ministers and MPs from all the major parties. Just search for A Mucky Business on your chosen podcast provider or head to premierchristianradio.com forward slash amoki business. We'll see you again after Easter.